0: G'day everyone, good to be with you again. Uh, We're going to continue our series in Romans today and uh, I would imagine that you've probably found parts of Romans either tricky to understand or a little bit hard to accept. Uh, And like any time we open the Bible, we need God's help. So how about we start with praying. Let's uh, pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak through your word. We thank you for the book of Romans and we recognise that parts of it are very tricky. So please help us by your spirit to understand the truth of it and to respond in repentance and faith. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago now when I was in the fire brigade, we had a new process introduced when we attended car accidents or fires. Uh, The boss had to get out a risk assessment. That was a little bit tricky under pressure because normally the last thing you want to do is do paperwork when you attend an emergency scene. But the plan was that he would be able to identify the risks at that scene and help to take action so that us or bystanders wouldn't become involved in the incident, wouldn't get hurt or injured in that incident. Risk assessments are a thing for many people these days. Uh, perhaps you've got them in your own workplace. And uh, they are common in order to try to identify risks and then reduce the chance of those risks causing harm. As we look at Romans 11, we get the chance, not under any time pressure, but with a bit of time to stop and think, we get the chance to do a risk assessment for ourselves. We get the chance to identify our greatest risks and then to take action. That's where we're headed in Romans 11. If you've got it open in front of you, that might help, but I'm going to pop up on the screen the verses as we read them. So let's start in verse 1, Romans 11, verse 1. I asked then, did God reject his people? So this is kind of the question that's been running through these chapters. Because Israel haven't turned to God wholesale as a nation in faith, Has God simply rejected them? Has God failed to keep his promises? And has God rejected his people, his chosen people, the nation of Israel? Paul's answer is no, because he is an Israelite himself. Uh, And also it's a no because God has always kept a remnant. He gives the example of Elijah, who thought he was the only one left. And yet God says that he had 7,000. People that he had kept for himself at that time. And likewise, right now, there is still a remnant. Right now when Paul writes, and right now there are still Jews who profess faith in Jesus. God has always kept a remnant from amongst the nation of Israel for himself. Now have a look at verse 5 with me. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Grace. See, God hasn't rejected all of Israel. There are a portion of Israel that have put their trust in Jesus. But most of Israel have failed to trust Jesus. So is that the end of God's dealing with most of Israel? What are God's plans for Israel moving forward? Have a look with me at verse 11. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Not only has God not given up on Israel, but this is actually part of his grand master plan of salvation. Because Israel have largely rejected the gospel, the gospel has gone out to the Gentiles And you see that in the ministry of Paul. He goes wherever he goes. Mostly he goes firstly to the synagogue, firstly to the Jewish people and preaches the gospel there. And because of their rejection, he goes then to the Gentiles to take that same message of the gospel to them. And so because of the rejection of most of the nation of Israel, God is saving Gentiles, people from all nations, he is bringing to himself through the message of his gospel. God's grand plan is working out through the rejection of the gospel by most of the people of Israel. This is actually exactly what Jesus said would happen. He gives us a parable, the parable of the wedding banquet. In this parable, Jesus describes a king who sends out invitations and those who are invited pay no attention to these invitations and they don't go to the wedding banquet. They refuse to attend the wedding banquet. So the king has his servants send out that invitation to anyone that they can find out in the streets. That's a description of what God has done in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Through the rejection of the gospel by most of Israel, the gospel has gone out to the Gentiles. But God hasn't finished with Israel. Have a look with me at verse 11. Did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So it just highlights all of God's grand plan of salvation. Israel have been hardened. The Gentiles have responded to the gospel. Not all of them, but many Gentiles have responded to God's grace in the gospel. And God's plan is that through that, Israel would become envious of all the blessings that the Gentiles are receiving through the gospel and they would turn again and receive God's grace and mercy. That's what we learn about God's plan. So what are we to do in response? Well, it's a bit like our risk assessment. where to identify their mistakes so that we might learn from Israel and avoid the mistakes they made. So let's try and identify the risks and take action. And there's a couple of things that are going to come up here for our action. Firstly, don't be arrogant. And secondly, fear God and remember God's sternness and kindness. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. Israel fell out of God's grace because of their unbelief, their lack of faith. And you and I, if you're a Christian here today, you and I are in favour with God because of our faith and because of God's grace. So we equally can make exactly the same mistake as Israel made and we can fall into unbelief and be cast out from God. Move away from trusting in Jesus and will be broken off from a relationship with God. I've got four kids, and two of them are exact opposites of one another. Uh, one of them loves the idea of injuries and illness and accidents, loves the human body and everything that can go wrong with it, and trying to help people who are sick and injured and bleeding. And the other wants absolutely nothing to do with anyone who's injured, doesn't want to see the side of blood and is queasy at any of those things. They are complete opposites. Faith and arrogance are complete opposites also. Faith says, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. But arrogance says, it is a little bit about me. Faith says, like the words of the song, there's nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. But arrogance says, I must have been pretty good to have been chosen by God. Now, it's worth remembering the story here between Israel and the Gentiles in order to understand what the problem might have been for the Gentiles, what the risk might have been for the Gentiles. So Israel are God's chosen people, and yet most of Israel have not been saved. God has largely rejected the people of Israel, and instead he's gone and chosen many of the Gentiles. So Gentile Christians could look at the Israelites and see the story that God has decided that Israel are not good enough and he's gone and chosen someone who is good enough in the Gentile Christians. And so the danger for them is that they might fall into arrogance to say it's about us and about how good we are, about God seeing that somehow we'd end up being pretty nice people when he chose us. And that's why Paul says, You stand by faith, don't be arrogant. So the lesson for us is to keep having faith and not fall into arrogance. To continue to remember that we're saved by faith through God's gift of grace only. And we don't bring anything to the table in order to compel God to act in our favour. And alongside of that, we ought to be incredibly humble people. As we gather together at church, if we remember the truth of the gospel, that is, if we remember that it's by God's grace only that we're made right with him, and we access that only through faith, then we'll be people who humbly accept all of God's gift, but also that we humbly accept anyone else who would want to join us. Because we know that God hasn't chosen us because we've got a certain level of education or we're particularly nice people or we do more good stuff than bad stuff. No, because we know that it is all from God and nothing from us, because we know it's all from God's grace received through faith and nothing in us, we'll not be arrogant, but will humbly welcome anyone who fits into any category who'd like to join us in God's church. Let's continue. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you also will be cut off. God gives us a free and undeserved gift in the gospel. It's entirely because of His grace that we're saved and made right with Him. So we ought to remember God's kindness, but alongside that, we ought to remember the sternness of God so that we remember exactly what it is that we're saved from. We often don't want to know about bad news. The Orange City Life is our local newspaper that deliberately avoids the bad bad news and is upbeat and positive. It tries to bring a positive vibe in everything that's written in it. I wonder at the moment if you've found yourself trying to avoid the news because so much of our news is bad news and it's draining. That's what we're like. We naturally want to avoid the bad news stories. And we tend to do it with the judgment of God. We tend to want to avoid what the Bible says about the coming judgment of God because it seems like it is such bad news. So some people never talk about or teach about God's judgment, even though Jesus speaks more about judgment and hell than any other topic. Or we want to say uh, that hell is not eternal, so we downplay what the Bible says about hell and say, perhaps it's just that people get destroyed and and cease to exist. Or maybe we want to say that everyone gets exactly what they want in the end, that the atheist gets nothingness, uh, that the Buddhist gets absorbed into the life force of the universe, the Hindu gets reincarnated, and the Christian gets to go to heaven. A big part of us wants to avoid the hard teaching of the Bible about hell and the judgment of God. And that's because it's bad news and we naturally want to avoid bad news. And yet Jesus spoke a lot about hell. Let me tell you just some of what he taught about hell. Jesus said hell is a place of torment. He said it's a place where there is a fire that never goes out and a worm that never dies. He described it as a fiery furnace where people gnash their teeth in anguish and regret. He called it a place from where there is no return and a place of outer darkness. And he described it as somewhere that is so bad that in order to avoid it, you ought to cut off your hand if that would help you to avoid it or cut off your foot or gouge out your eye if any of those actions could mean you would avoid going to hell. Jesus taught more on hell than heaven. He taught more on hell than anything else and yet we want to avoid it. Friends, don't do that. Live wisely and well in God's world in the fear of God with the reality of hell before our eyes on a daily basis. Because when we do that, we will hold on to Jesus. If you don't know what you're avoiding, there will, there will come a time when you don't see the need to avoid it. That's why Romans tells us to remember the sternness of God. So fear God and remember his sternness, because that will help us to remain in his kindness. When I was in the fire brigade, we trained for vertical rescue, uh, rescue of people at heights where you had to either access... um, A cliff face or a dam wall or perhaps a tall building in order to be able to access a patient someone who needed help so we trained in vertical rescue uh, using ropes and one of the things when I was being taught how to do vertical rescues was to not look down if you were scared of heights don't look down and see where it is that you're going to drop just concentrate on your rigging and your gear and then get to work That tends to be what we do if you've got a fear of heights, isn't it? We say, don't look down, because we want to avoid that fear of heights. But the Bible says the exact opposite of that. The Bible says, look down. The Bible says, consider the sternness of God and know the fear of God. Know the reality of the coming judgment, the truth that there is a hell and an eternal judgment of God. And see that and recognise it so that that might drive us to the kindness of God in Jesus. That's where we should end up. Friends, that's our risk assessment from Romans 11 today. Our great risk would be that we would be people who turn away from faith in Jesus. Perhaps because we aren't aware of the coming reality of God's judgement. And if we were to turn away from having our faith in Jesus, then the reality is we would spend an eternity under God's right judgment on our sins. So today, don't just identify the risk. Take action. Take the action that's recommended to us in Romans. Don't be arrogant. Continue to have your trust in Jesus and not in your own goodness or your own internal righteousness. Remember, we are totally reliant on God's grace, accessed through a simple faith in the Lord Jesus. And as you do that, tremble. Have the fear of God in your heart daily and remember his sternness and kindness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the truth of your word. We recognise that it's sometimes it's harsh and difficult for us to stomach. And so please help us to know its truth. Please help us to see our greatest risk, the risk that we would turn away from trust in Jesus and come under your judgement for all of eternity. And may that help us, Lord, by the, by the work of your Spirit and your Word in our hearts. May all of that help us to continue to grow in our trust in the Lord Jesus, and to recognise your gift, the gracious gift of forgiveness that comes through him all of our days. And we ask this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.